When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. I see dead people. Go ahead. Make my day. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. I'll have what she's having. Oh, wonderful. Um, uh, that is uh, Estelle Reiner, of course, the um, mother of the director of When Harry Met Sally, which I saw not that long ago. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talk- here to talk about the business of film, and I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson as we dissect the UK box office. How's it looking, James? <laughs> well, only one big release last weekend, hmm. which I think most people will be aware of because it's... Uh, the most woke Marvel film yet, Eternals, which made £5.5 million at 642 screens. It is obviously directed by Chloe Zhao, which is the big thing, who won an Oscar, the first, second woman ever to win an Oscar for directing a film, Nomadland, this year, Mm. and the first Asian woman to do so. She, she's been breaking a lot of records this year, but she must be the first Chinese woman mm. to be credited not once, but twice as the screenwriter of a $200 million Hollywood blockbuster. So her name comes up as the screenwriter of Eternals, followed by a second credit as the co-screenwriter with Patrick Burley, followed by a third screenplay credit that goes to Ryan Furpo and Kaz Furpo. There is a lot in this film. It's a long film, as there was in No Time to Die. But not even Phoebe Waller-Bridge could swing a double credit on the (laughs) screenplay. Eternals is also remarkable in that it is the first Marvel film to top bill an Anglo-Chinese actress, namely Gemma Chan. You may remember that Xiong Zi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is so far the highest grossing film of the year at the US box office. And last year, the top grossing film globally was the Chinese epic, The 800. In the meantime, Gemma Chan, who played Astrid in Crazy Rich Asians, which I loved, uh, that became the highest grossing rom-com of the decade. She's now being touted to appear in the two sequels, China Rich Girlfriend and Rich People Problems, all of which suggest that there is an Eastern glow at the box office of late, which sorts out the commercial calibre of Eternals, arguably the most politically correct and inclusive Marvel, Marvel film to date. So we have Gemma Chan, the deaf actress Lauren Ridloff, playing a signing superhero, Brian Tyree Henry as a gay black man, Kumail Nanjuani playing a Pakistani stand-up comedian, Scotland's Richard Madden, the Irish Barry K. 
Rocky Ogan, an androgynous 12-year-old, Leah McHugh, the South Korean Don Lee, Angelina Jolie, and as the leader of the Eternals, mm. a Latino woman, i.e. Salma Hayek. Chloe Zhao, who attended Brighton College when she was 15, has obviously absorbed much of Western and British culture as well. And at the beginning of Eternals, the familiar opening beat, 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 and guitar, guitar twang of Pink Floyd's Time off their Dark Side of the Moon LP eases the viewer into a sense of time running out. I just loved Dark Side of the Moon. I listened to it so much in the 1970s, and this immediately got me into the mood of Eternals. Mm. For me, one of the film's most resonant moments comes quite far into the movie in a scene set in South Dakota between Salma Hayek and Richard Madden. Not coincidentally, Chloe Zhao's first three films were all shot in South Dakota, namely Songs My Brothers Taught Me, The Rider, and Nomadland. Of course, there is the usual quota of CGI, really, really ugly monsters and a lot of combat. And the film has not received most glowing of reviews, but the, there was so much resonance in it for me. Another moment that really resonated was when Cersei, played by Gemma Chan, observes our blue planet alone in the cosmos and says to her colleague and frequent lover, Icarus, Richard Madden, it's beautiful, isn't it? Now, I don't know whether it's because Eternals opened at the same time as COP26, but I took the general message of the film to be metaphoric, i.e. Earth has not long to go. The Eternals have been around for 7,000 years. They've been at key moments of historical events throughout history, but they've been told not to intervene in us, in our destruction of our own planet. And I found it really kind of emotional. And as I say, it might have been because of COP26, or I may be reading something into the film that's not meant to be there. But I do think that Chloe Zhao's female sensibility does shine through. There's a terrific sequence with a monster at the beginning of the film, all shot at Camden Lock, which I know very well because uh, um, I lived in Camden Town right. for years when I first moved to London. And I think because the characters are so inclusive and so diverse, I really engage with them all. I, I, I don't want to come off as this kind of um, woke person standing on a soapbox but I really did quite enjoy it compared to so many of the Marvel films which to me have nothing to say and it's all about combat and monsters yes, and CGI yes. and I love the locations and the shots uh, all over the world and dipping back in and out of history and there's an amazing sequence uh, of Aztec uh, houses being burnt to the ground by I think they are conquistadors and there is so much in this movie that it fits neatly into its two and a half hour running time. And I've been a fan of Gemma Chan. Uh, Humans, of course, are, I think it was Channel 4, wasn't it, where she played uh, Automaton in that. Um, she's a very striking actress. And I just like the characters. And I think that is, for me, is what cinema is all about. And if you like the characters, mm. everything else falls into place. Yes, I confess the idea of another two and a half hour Marvel movie rather sort of fills me with foreboding. I mean, I can what? remember when a Marvel movie was a relatively rare occurrence. Now they seem to be every other week. Well, yes. Um, 
<laughs> not quite so often, but I get your point. It's not my favourite film in the top ten. Probably the one at number two, which is No Time to Die, which mm. was at number one last week, which has now made a total of £89.9 million. And we are, of course, talking about the new James Bond film, which has now overtaken the US gross of the UK gross of Avengers Endgame. At number three, we've got Dune down one place, which made £1.6 million in its th uh, third week. Mm. It's now got a total of £16.8 million. At number four, we've got Venom, Let There Be Carnage, with 670,000 quid, with a total of £16.2 million. Number five, The Boss Baby 2 Family Business, which seems aimed at children with ADHD, while also satirising the dangers of modern mm. technology. It's trying to have its cake and eat it, <laughs> yeah, yes. with Alec Baldwin as a big baby, at least the voice of Alec Baldwin. And that's now ha has a total of £5.8 million. Now, there is a new film at number six called Spencer, which is, of course, about Princess Diana, played by Kirsten, uh, Kristen rather, Stewart, and directed by Pablo Lorraine, who, of course, also did Jackie, the story of Jackie and Nassis, played by Natalie Portman. Mm. But it only opened in just 183 cinemas, which is nothing compared to the 642 screens of Eternals. So it didn't actually make that much, but I think it must be going wider because it's actually opening at my multiplex this weekend. So I shall be dashing off to see that, along with Clint Eastwood in Cry Macho, which he yeah. directed, produced... And he's now 91, which is uh, a beacon for all of us, really. So I've read quite a lot about Spencer. Spencer. So I'll be here just over 418. Hmm. I'd be interested to hear what you Well, it got a three-minute ovation, standing ovation at Venice because hmm. of Kirsten Stewart's extraordinary performance. Hmm. So, so she's I'm presumably in the running as a, a, a nominee for award season. She most certainly is. She's up against... Jennifer Hudson for respect for playing Aretha Franklin, Olivia Coleman for Maggie Ginnenhall's The Lost Daughter. Those seem to be three of the real top contenders for mm. Oscar for Best Female Actor next year. Moving on, we have at number seven, The Addams Family 2, continuation of the endless Gothic franchise. At number eight, we've got The French Exit down 37%. This, of course, is a Wes Anderson film, and we have sort of um, interesting the, feelings. The, the French about Dispatch, Wes yeah, the French, yes, the French Dispatch. dispatch. Did I call yes. it the French Exit. Sorry, yes, yeah, yes. The French Dispatch, <clears throat> uh, indeed. Um, I loved the Royal Tenenbaums. I loathed the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Mm. I'm sort of kind of indifferent on the Darjeeling 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 Express Limited. Fantastic, oh, yeah. Mr. Fox, I really enjoyed. Moonrise Kingdom, I think you liked more than I did. Yeah, I, I can't really remember it very well. I think I enjoyed it so much of the time. But um, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel was my favourite, whereas I hated the Tannenbaums. But, um, you know, he, uh, at least he does <laughs> induce either liking or loathing among his audience. Well, yeah, I, I, and a favourite of mine, I, I did love the Grand Budapest Hotel, I've seen it several times, is Isle of Dogs, which I've also seen several oh, yes, times, which is funny. his stop-motion animation piece. But I'm really looking forward to his next film, Simon, Asteroid City, with Tom Hanks, Margot Robbie, Scarlett Johansson, and Tilda Swinton. 
could Gracious. become his lucky chart. Isn't that a cast? That certainly is. Um, James, this is probably a good moment. I know we haven't quite finished the job, but perhaps we ought to just take a, a quick breather. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. So uh, the French Dispatch was number eight, I think, James. So we're down to number nine. It, it was indeed, which was a, a satire on journalism and New Yorker magazine. I was confusing it momentarily with the French Exit, which was another a big American star in France that we saw early this year, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. At number nine, my second favourite film in the chart, Ron's Gone Wrong which I think is a wonderful satire on children's obsession with social media, We're, with a total of almost £4 million, but because it's British, I'm really rooting for it. Mm. And at number 10, we've got another British film, the horror film from Edgar Wright, Last Night in Soho, which I'm afraid is down 63.1%. I loved the production design. I love the period stuff in this. I just, for me... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It didn't really work as a horror film. Hmm. And it's it set in two parallel time zones. One spring in the 60s in Soho and one in the present day starring Thomason Mackenzie, the wonderful New Zealand actress who I've now discovered is the granddaughter of Kate Harcourt, Dame Kate Harcourt, and also co-starring Anya Taylor Joy. Now, because there was only one major film that was actually released in cinemas, I've been catching up quite a lot with streaming pictures. And obviously, I had to see Finch, which is the new Tom Hanks movie, which I believe is on Apple. Am I right in saying that? Um, you could probably look it up faster than me. But... I'm, not, I'm not sure. I can look it up while you tell us about it, James. Uh, it is on Apple TV Plus. Yeah, I had to get that right. Sorry. This is Tom Hanks holding an entire movie entirely on his own, which he's done before, more or less, with Castaway, Castaway directed yes. by Robert Zemeckis. This time, Robert Zemeckis takes a back seat as executive producer, and it's directed by Miguel Sapochnik, Sapochnik who did Game of Thrones. Uh, but that's largely what he's famous for. And it opens in a dust storm. And the last time I saw Tom Hanks was in News of the World, where one of the most memorable sequences was a dust storm, where he loses touch with his 11-year-old ward. Uh, but that was the Western. And so it's quite interesting to see him back in a dust storm. But this time, it's not set in the 1800s, but in the future. And he seems to be like the last man alive on Earth. And it reminded me in some ways of the Midnight Sky with George Clooney, who is at the North Pole. He's in this high-tech laboratory environment, and it's just him. And here we have Tom Hanks, and it's the end of the world. He seems to be the last man alive in a high-tech environment. This time, it's a subterranean basement. 
and he is a robotics engineer. He knows he's dying from radiation poisoning, and he is building a robot for his dog, Goodyear. Now, the idea of Tom Hanks on his own with a robot, and he's got another robot which looks like a bit like Wally mm. and a dog. I don't think I would be remiss in saying it is a tad sentimental. However, <laughs> Tom Hanks, I can't imagine anybody could hold my attention more for the length of a film where he is more or less the only person in it. And it's set in St. Louis and he has to move as the weather conditions get worse and worse. So he goes to higher altitude in his RV accompanied by his dog and his new robot. I don't want to say any more than that, because that would be giving something away. It's a sort of contemplation on man's place in the world and his relationship with, indeed, automated, automated beings and four-legged ones. I quite enjoyed it. I kept on thinking of I Am Legend as well, which was Will Smith as the last mm. man on Earth, and Omega Man. With Charles the Hesson. Omega Man originally with Charles Heston. That was a fantastic yeah, film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just didn't think it matched up to those. But I can't imagine anybody I would want to spend time alone with more than Tom <laughs> Hanks, even if he's dying. Okay. Uh, so that is, is Finch. What do you have for us Well, now? I think I ought to mention Army of Thieves. Although there's nobody in Army of Thieves that most listeners will have heard of, besides fanatical followers of the Fast and Furious franchise, Natalie Emmanuel, who is terrific, who plays the cracker, uh, the, the hacker in the F, uh, F9 and the other films, one immediately knows that Army of Thieves is a certain far, uh, is a film of caliber, even though it's got a first-time director nobody would have heard of, because the music is composed by Hans Zimmer. And Hans Zimmer is a superstar of the music world, not necessarily because he won an Oscar for writing the music to The Lion King, but also the Pirates of the Caribbean films. And of course, he is the composer of the films of Christopher Nolan from Batman Begins right up to Interstellar and Dunkirk. But before we start, let me say that the title, Army of Thieves, is a misnomer. At most, one might call it a quintet of crooks with the intuitive safecracker and all-round nerd, Matthias Schweighöfer, making up the fivesome. Schweighöfer also appeared in Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which, although released on Netflix back in May, actually precedes the events of Army of Thieves. They are both part of Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead franchise, which includes an anime-style TV series called Army of the Dead Lost Vegas. And this film was actually the most-watched film on Netflix during its debut weekend. And there's another Zack Snyder zombie movie coming up. Bizarrely, I was expecting, because this is all inspired by George A. Romero's zombie classic, I was expecting a zombie apocalypse movie. And on streaming news in the background, you do see the zombie apocalypse happening in Nevada. Mm. But the film is set in Germany, and then it moves to Paris, and then it moves to Prague, and it ends up in St. Moritz. And basically, the character played by Matthias Schweighöfer, he's also the director, 
and he's very much involved in this production. And the trouble is, I think, with the film, which is basically a heist farce, is that it really plays for the laughs. And I think it would have been a lot better if it hadn't done that. Mm. Georges Genet, who did uh, Amelie, it's got rather his style. And do, do you remember Martin Scorsese's Hugo? I do. With all that amazing clockwork mechanism. Mm. Yes. Well, I, did, I saw it again quite recently. And I, I feel the Army of Thieves has really tapped into that because there are these four safes that is designed by a, a master inventor called Hans Wagner, who designed these four amazing clockwork safes, which were impenetrable. And each one is named after an opera from Richard Wagner's Norse ring cycle. And anyway, this nerd is... Um, basically, he, he's lured into a honey trap by Natalie Emmanuel because he is the world's greatest safe cracker. And I kind of enjoyed it. It's just very over the top. There are no characters that you can believe in. I do. I mean, Natalie Emmanuel is lovely to look at. It, it's just all a bit much. And there is this Interpol agent from Paris who's on, on their case. And he's obviously trying to do Inspector Clouseau. And he just gets more and more incensed as they keep on outwitting him. It's fun. It's a race against time. I love the mechanics of it. But I'm not going to be thinking about it this time in a fortnight. I can tell you that. But <laughs> I'll be interested. What was interesting about it, it was the fact that it's sort of married to this whole zombie apocalypse theme, which the only zombies that appear in the film are actually nightmares that the lead character has. Mm. So quite hey, intriguing. Bizarre. Bizarre. Okay, what now? Well, I again, a, a major Netflix release, which is getting some Oscar buzz, called Passing, which is based on the 1929 novel by Nella Larson. Now, it's directed and written by Rebecca Hall, who, of course, is the daughter of Sir Peter Hall, one of our preeminent stage directors. This is the first film she's directed. And she found out that her maternal grandfather was mixed of mixed heritage and that he passed, which is a phrase meaning that people are so mixed heritage that they can actually pass as white. And this is the story of two friends who knew each other in Chicago, played by Tessa Thompson and the wonderful Ruth Negger, who was in a film called Loved, which you may remember uh, about three years ago with Joel Edgerton. Again, she was in a mixed race relationship in this. And she is actually passing as white. She's married to a racist, played by Alexander Skarsgård. And they meet up again at the Drayton Hotel in Manhattan, where Tessa Thompson is passing as white for the first time. And she goes in and you can see, I'm not quite sure why she was drawn into the hotel in the first place, but you can see that she's very uncomfortable and sort of hiding under her wide-brimmed hat. And then she is spotted by her old friend, played by Ruth Negger, who I have to say is absolutely brilliant in this. And I'm not surprised that she is being tipped for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. But she's up against Catriona, Katrina, rather, Balfe from uh, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, playing close yet again for Swan Song. 
and uh, Ingenue Ellis for King Richard, who plays the tennis coach Brandy Price. It's the new film, Passing, is shot in black and white in the boxy uh, um, Academy ratio. So it feels very much a film of its time, 1920s. It mm. looks fantastic. My only problem with it, it's very nuanced, and I'm just fascinated with the subject matter, is I was very aware of how self-conscious Rebecca Hall was in her close-ups. Uh, and it was like a director for the first time playing with a new mm. lot of paints, for instance, and the odd framing devices she uses. And I just didn't feel there was enough of a story to justify, it. I think it's 98 minutes, running time. And I just wasn't engaged emotionally as I felt I should have been. It is getting rave reviews. Mm. I'm just very aware of the direction, which I don't think you should be. It looks beautiful and the two leads are fantastic. And I think in many ways the film should be seen because it's an important subject mm. matter. It does seem to be, um, your strictures there seem to be sort of something that's quite common of actors who direct for the first time, I think of many other instances. Um, and that one's Netflix, is it, James? It is at Netflix, yes. It okay. came out that's just super. on Wednesday. Well, Thank you very much indeed. That's uh, James Cameron Wilson. James will be back uh, with more of the business of film at the same time next week. Good morning, Vietnam! What we've got here is failure to communicate. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? 